Well, today, um, let me say this. It's an interesting day for me. I, I drove here. I usually try to come into Cornerstone sometime between like 3 and 5 a.m. on Sunday mornings just to be here and to pray and different things. And as I was driving along, two realities hit me. I took a different route just to kind of see what see me looked like because I didn't know what see me looked like after, after last night. And on one end, I was reminded for all of you that went out and, and protested and, and, uh, and took advantage of, of what it is to live in a place like the United States and to, to, to really beckon and, and, and to, to cry out for the cause that you believe in. Uh, specifically, it seems to be in and around like in our time. Sometimes it's hard to understand, but it's no doubt racism. It hit me this morning, and again, I don't mean to be defeatist here, but we woke up and sin is still with us. But on the other end, I was thinking about as I was driving by all these buildings, everybody that thought for sure that life was about to end and, and somehow all the buildings were going to be you know, down and fires were going to be everywhere. I'm here to tell you that I watched as the sun came up, and as the sun came up, God is still in control. We do live at a, at a unique time. There's no doubt that as we've walked through this virus, it's exposed so many things about us, our fears, our insecurities. And even as we've entered into the racial tensions of what's happening inside of our, our, our world right now, we're, we're saddened, we're disappointed. Some of us are trying to fight back. I mean, there's just all kinds of things that are happening inside of us. I think in my own heart, I'm just done being reactive. I think too often the church takes this stance that we forget that our God is king of the universe. His church is empowered by the Holy Spirit and not even the gates of, of Hades or hell can stop us. And so my hope this morning is, is that we won't sit around being reactive, but my hope is, is that we will know what to do. Now, I understand this is a hard question to ask because as, as I've watched the news, as I've watched YouTube after YouTube video, generally the people want me to see because maybe they feel like I'm not seeing something. As I've read numerous articles about the virus or the embedded sin of dehumanizing that we have just built into our culture in ways in which we degrade others because of the color of their sin. We call it racism. I've realized that there is opinion after opinion out there on what we are supposed to do. Our governing authorities have an opinion on what we're supposed to do. Both for-profit and non-profit groups have an opinion on what we're supposed to do. Great thinkers have also submitted their thoughts into this. And I really do believe most people want to see the world change. I, I, don't, I don't doubt that. And let me just tell you this, and this is what I mean. I don't want us to be people without hope. Jesus Christ is and will one day fully bring this world to rights in the way that he intends it to be. But for now, I know many of you have asked this question. I've asked this question. I think our world is asking this question. What are we supposed to do? Because it seems so confusing. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I may be naive kind of in how I'm going to approach this, but this morning I'm going to ask this question that we've talked about. What are we supposed to do? Because I believe in your heads right now, you've watched the strange events that are unfolding before you and you're asking the same question. You look at the world in which we live at now, right? And you, you want to see change. You know that the world is not as it should be. There must be something that God is calling us to do. And I believe he is 
And I think one of the first things we need to do as believers is to realize that God's word, even the book of Romans that we're in right now, addresses this dilemma and gives us the answer to the question. And now we need to dive in here. I believe this is the first thing we need to do, the second thing we need to do, the third thing we need to do, and over and over again. Because what we're going to find is that deep within inside all of humanity, it is much bigger than a virus. It is much bigger than racism. It is right there. And the Bible gives an answer to it. I mean, think about this. In Romans, the opening three chapters, as Paul dives into this, is based upon seeing this rebellion against God, right? He, he's seeing sin. He's seeing all kinds of rebellion in the way that it is. And he sees it as just deeply rooted within humanity. He knew that there were no groups that were exempt from it. He knew that it applied to God's people, the Jews. It applied then also to this other group that was alienated from God called the Gentiles. Sin, this, this just blatant disregard was and is, is in all people. But the reason we don't have to have a lack of hope is because in 321, an amazing corner gets turned in the book of Romans is that the solution to humanity's predicament is Jesus Christ. We don't have to sit around licking our wounds. We don't have to wonder what's going on. Sure, after Adam and Eve sinned, all of humanity, all of creation was, was twisted and marred. And so no doubt that creates angst in us and it, it creates mourning in us as we see just the reality of what's going on. Even the, the virus that we're experiencing right now, the racial tensions that are going on around us comes from this rebellion. The world's not right. It's not as God intends it to be. And yet the beauty of what he does here that's so powerful is that Jesus Christ has come and he is writing all things. And we've talked about this up and down and all around for the last few weeks. But the answer to the question of what are we supposed to do? And let me just say this just to be really blunt. I think we need to get off YouTube. I think we need to get off of Facebook. I think we need to get off of Twitter. I think we need to get off of all of these different things that are so consuming us and return to God's word as the means and the mechanism to fire our joy, to, to get us out of a, a reactive mode and to engage us into being God's proactive people in a world that so desperately needs the news and the goodness of Jesus to come to bear upon it. Now, two weeks ago, what I did was, is I, I wanted to bring our attention to Romans 8, 11 through 18. We begin to wrestle with that. And I want to even take this now today just a little bit deeper. I discussed it kind of from this idea of it being an exodus. And we're going to return to that picture next week. But this morning, I guess what I want to do is I just want to come head on in this one. See, verse 12 begins this way. It says, so then, brothers and sisters... Oh, the so then, if you look down at verse 11, it just flows from this amazing truth that our mortal bodies, our bodies that are currently in the state of decay, that are influenced and drawn in some ways towards sin. And I love what he does here. They're going to be raised from the dead, made alive by the spirit of God so that we can enjoy God forever as he created us to be a new creation. Paul wants to build into this, just this sense and knowing that God has a plan for what he's doing. And so when we're asking, what are we supposed to do? It's not only that I can find the answer inside of God's word, 
But I can also, what am I supposed to do? I'm to trust that God has a plan. It's an unstoppable plan. Remember, we talked about it. This is the trajectory that all of us are moving towards as followers of Jesus. That's where we are all headed, every single one of us. And so what Paul is saying is is that, look, based upon this trajectory, we're to understand and live in such a way that we are debtors. Some of your versions might say we're obligated. We're no longer supposed to have a master. A master of what? Well, we're no longer mastered, he says, by the flesh, that old rebellious self that is stuck to us, that is not native, or the, that, just, that is native to this world in which we live in, that's not oriented towards God. In other words, we're not to live according to the flesh. We don't owe our flesh anything. That's his point. So again, back to the question I'm trying to ask today. What are we supposed to do right now in our families, with our friends, in our communities, in the midst of a pandemic and social unrest? Every single day we must wake up, we must encourage one another to remember that this trajectory that we're on, everything is moving towards the victory in and through the person of Jesus. I'm dead serious about this. This isn't just a trite slogan. We've got to get this in front of ourselves. Paul, when he was writing to the Colossians, right, in chapter 3, he, he so badly wanted them to grasp this. He says to them, look, if you've been raised with Christ, and this is who you are, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've been raised with Christ, I want you to, look what he says there, seek the things that are above. Where Christ seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him. Glory, that is your trajectory. And so on one end, we need to see that, that the answer is inside of God's word. There's no doubt about it. And this answer now, what are we supposed to do? We're to have minds that are just focused on this reality of a trajectory that cannot be stopped. We have an unstoppable God moving an unstoppable church towards an amazing future. But in verse 5, he also tells us something else that's important in in, in Colossians 3 that's going to be important to us in Romans 8. See, I think what Paul realizes is that's true, but he does not want us to get lulled to sleep. Because when you look at verse 5, he says in there that we still must put to death what is earthly in us. We must grasp that the flesh which is present in all of us, that reprehensible old man that Paul talks about in Romans 6, though dead and defeated in followers of Jesus Christ, it still pulls us towards sin. And as it pulls us towards sin, it also pulls us towards death. But listen, the flesh is not our master, if you are in Christ Jesus. We're no longer obligated to it, as Paul point. The, the debt has been play, paid. The, the flesh has been defeated by our new master, King Jesus. 
And now, what we must do, we must embrace fully this reality. We've got to not only understand that the answer is in God's word, that this trajectory is moving one way, and we've got to get into our heads. We no longer owe anything to our flesh other than enmity and animosity. That's the only thing we owe it. And we've got to be fully aware that this trajectory and everything about our flesh, though dead, it's also working against us right now. Your flesh, because of sin, is your enemy. And it takes no breaks. And let me just put it to you this way. It has a poisonous bite. Paul wants us to wake up for that. When I was a kid, we had a lot of rattlesnakes on my grandparents' ranch and farm in Wyoming. Whenever we would come on one, it was one of my favorite things because we would see it and I knew what my dad was gonna do. He would go back in the back of the truck and he would grab a spade. He would walk out there and he would chop the snake's head off. And as a little kid, you're just like, oh, my dad, right? It's better than G.I. Joe. The moment that the spade severed the snake's head, the snake was dead. Yet if you've ever seen this before, the body still moves. Even as a little kid, as I think back upon that now, I would watch as my dad would leave the snake out and it would just freak me out to watch that thing wiggle all over the place and he would leave it out so the hawks would eat it. But there was one thing that he did not leave out. He would bury the head. I remember as a little kid, I was wondering why. And so I asked my dad one morning, I was like, why do you bury the head? My dad replied this way. He said, look, even though the snake is dead, it can still bite. If you don't bury the head, you or an animal will still be at risk. And I think this idea, again, is important to our question of what are we supposed to do? Jesus has delivered the death blow to flesh. It's no longer able to kill us if we are someone in Christ. But the flesh can still greatly not only harm us, greatly harm others. And one of my biggest concerns in all of this, as we sit and rant and rave or fearful or all these different things, it can harm the mission. This is why what we must do this morning is so important. We're going to learn next week more about what does it mean to bury that head underneath there? What does it look like to, to bury the flesh deeply so that it no longer hinders us? Because I don't want in any way Cornerstone's mission to be hindered just because of a virus or racial tension going on. In fact, I believe that because of a virus and because of racial tension, Cornerstone is ready to step in and not be reactive, but proactive because we have the answers. Not because we're smart, but just because of God's word. But I want to take this question just a little bit further about what are we supposed to do? We don't owe the flesh anything. Again, that, that old rebellious self, we don't owe him anything, but there's something more here that I think we need to, to draw out. See, when you look down in verse 13, you start to realize that flesh and, and sin and this weird, awkward co-opting together has been trying to destroy us since the day that we were born. I believe this vicious attitude of the flesh is exactly what Paul's driving at. Look, look down at verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, watch that, you will die. Apart from God's grace, right, it will eventually kill everyone. 
That's why this morning, if there's somebody out there that doesn't know Jesus Christ, it's so important to me that you grasp this. Apart from the work of Jesus, you are still in the flesh. And if you are still in the flesh, that means that you are still in sin. And if you are still in sin and not in Jesus Christ, your outcome is not just that you die physically, but this death that you are facing is complete and it is eternal. And that's why this morning I am begging you to bend your knee to King Jesus. It's so important. For those of us that are already in Christ, what we must do this morning is to see that this, this remaining just viciousness and deceptiveness of our flesh, we need to see it for what it is. We need to see that what it's trying to do is to bring about our destruction. Sure, it's defeated, but it is still that place in which sin's poison can get us. And not only does it destroy our lives, it destroys those around us, their lives, And man, it hinders the gospel of Jesus. And so I know it sounds strange, but today what I'm asking all of you to do is in regard to the flesh, I want us to gain an animosity and combativeness. Now, I know some of you are wondering, where do we get such militant language? You're like, dang, Todd, back off. Well, on the opposite side of the death that he's talking about from our flesh, look down at verse 13. There's this viciousness towards us. But Paul continues the verse and he says, but if by the spirit, now watch this, because here's where we're going to see that it needs to be treated aggressively. You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So Paul's point is that God is going to make us alive one day. There's no doubt about it. God's going to do this at the resurrection. That's our trajectory. That's where all of us in Christ know we're moving. But even now, I love that, you will Live life. See, in the midst of this combating against flesh, these deeds that now end up in our, in our bodies that we're going to talk about a little bit more over these next few days, we don't just have to bide our time waiting for Jesus Christ to return one day for us to have life. He says that we can live now. See what I'm talking about now? Just This is what are we supposed to do? We dive into God's word. We understand the trajectory we were on. We understand that this flesh is something that is not to be toyed with. It is something that we need to be combative against. But in the midst of all of it, as we do this, we start and continue. And in this ongoing way, push even into eternity in life. That's powerful. However, the only way he says in here that we can live and secure victory over the the flesh, over this this sin that's done in the body is in the spirit. And we're gonna come back to this over and over again next week. So I'm just gonna touch on it this week. But let me say this. If we try in any way to live out the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit, we won't survive. I'm not trying to say that somehow, you know, some of you call it lose your salvation. I do believe the love of God is on top of everyone that is his. We will never be separated from the love of God, but the dire consequences of not being militant towards flesh, towards sin, so that in some way now the deeds of the body are brought out in a way that honor Jesus Christ is a serious thing. This guy named John Owen, a a theologian and a pastor from, from long ago, He said this, and I want to make sure I say it right. 
be killing sin or it will be killing you. This is serious. When you're determining where to be and what you're doing right now in the midst of this pandemic and social unrest, we must believe that we are, let me just use this word, we're in a battle. It's not a battle maybe like we think, but it is a battle. And my fear is that some of you may be just kind of playing, just kind of floating through life. You don't have any passion for Jesus. You have no heart for Jesus. And I don't know if it's just you become so deadened or maybe you've never truly known what it is to follow Jesus Christ. But those of us that know him, we know what Paul's talking about here. We are in a battle. The concern is you've been lulled to sleep. You're just kind of, again, like I said, drifting through life. You think somehow we're just at peace with everything going on around us. I think you don't realize how serious things are. I believe that God right now is being so merciful and gracious towards you because you're getting to see this text of scripture. You're getting to hear this message that I'm preaching. And let me just say this. I believe the spirit of God wants to open your eyes right now for you to see that it is time to quit just floating through this world. It's time to quit just being a overwhelming voice on Facebook, thinking somehow you're saving the world. He's trying so hard to grip into that amazing life that he's created inside of you and to unleash you. But you're going to have to be combative. And just so you don't see this, that somehow Paul was the only one that saw it this way. Jesus addressed this issue of being combative when he was talking about sin in the flesh in Matthew 5. Listen, he told his followers, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, well, cut it off, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, again, I don't think he meant literally. So I don't want us to leave now and think as we're dealing with these deeds of the flesh. Paul tells us in Colossians 2, it's ridiculous to think that we're going to hurt ourselves. But I think what he's saying is, is this growing hatred towards anything that hinders us from wholeheartedly following Jesus Christ. So what are we supposed to do? If we want to have true life, to live as God has intended us to live, then we are going to have to realize we're in a battle. We're going to have to realize in a battle that is vicious. We're going to have to realize that our flesh is deadly. We're going to have to gain a new mindset of how we're going to battle against it. We need to stop making peace with our body in some kind of way, thinking that we don't now need to see the spirit of God come to good control over our life so that we can honor Jesus. We need to put to death, he says in there, the deeds of the body. And I think this gives us now a clue that I just want to deal with this last thing as we bring it to a close. Where is it that this battle that Paul's talking about occurs? Who is it going to occur with? What is going on inside of this? Now we're going to talk about this battlefield a lot more next week. But when we ask the question against whom or, or, or what do we direct our battling towards, this question is so important in answering. It's important to the one that we're trying to get after. It's so important to asking the question, what are we supposed to do now? And we know from this text that it is so impossible to see that our warfare is against people. It cannot be against people. Your battle is not against President Trump, so you can quit calling him stupid. Your, your battle is not against Governor Gavin Newsom, so you can quit calling him a moron. 
Your battle is not against your neighbor or your friend or your parent or your sibling or your spouse or your child, your Facebook friend, your Instagram person. Your battle is not there. And really, our battle is not even against a virus. The weapons that God has granted us to war are not to be used to destroy people. In fact, I was thinking about it in my head. Instead, the weapons of our warfare that the Spirit of God gives us is actually against any impulse, both internal that we'll talk about here in the ongoing weeks and external. You'll see that like in Ephesians 6. But it works against it so that we would never seek to or be compelled to, to diminish, to destroy, to harm any other person. This is so important. I don't want to take the pressure off you right now. You can quit battling all those things. You don't have to sit around in your house watching whatever your favorite news channel is and get angry anymore. Our battle is not against those people. Our battle in no way has anything to do with these people that are on Facebook that we think are so stupid in the back of our heads. We don't don't have to come in and give the other side of the story anymore. And the moment that we see people is no longer the battle, we can start to then understand them. And as we understand them, then we can realize that deep within them, just like deep within us, It's the same problem. They are battling the flesh. And apart from the work of Jesus Christ in their life and the power of the Holy Spirit, they will never be freed. It means now all of us who have been co-opted at this time, feeling like we need to be angry, we can quit being Don Quixote, charging windmills for no reason. There is evil. There's so much wrong in the world. But right now, with everything going on, we need to look in God's word. We need to see flesh for what it is. It's empowered by sin. It's so heinous, wanting to destroy since the day we were born. We need to be willing now, through the power of the Spirit of God, to combat against it. And we need to realize that that battle is in us. And what's crazy, it's not just individually but it's also in us as the church. I think the idea is exactly what Paul's getting at. When he works through 11 chapters of Romans, right? He gives us all these amazing realities of humanity and and the world in which we live. And then when he arrives at chapter 12, he says, I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your living, your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. Why, Paul? So you can understand God's will. You'll understand what he wants you to do. And by the way, that's good, that's pleasing, and that's perfect. But rarely do we read verse three. Now watch this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned him. I love that. Think with sober judgment. The Greek word, and one of the reasons I know it, it just became an important word to me throughout my life. The Greek word is sophronao. He wanted them to see the world clearly. That's what this word is, is to see the world through the, the, in the midst of it, to see the forest for the trees. Pull yourself back from the situation. Be circumspect. See things, and most importantly, not as people even see them. We always talk about you need to walk a mile in a man's shoes, and I do think we need to understand people. 
But most importantly, we need to see this world like God sees people. That's why our minds must be transformed so that we can know how God wants us to work in this world. In other words, when he's writing to the Romans, he wanted them to make sure they were fighting what God wanted them to fight. We need to make sure that with, like Paul at the end of his life, I want to be able to say I didn't fight the wrong fight. I have fought the good fight. And what's interesting is that the remaining chapters of Romans are not primarily about addressing problems in the world, but in us, the church. No doubt Paul wanted Rome to be transformed by the gospel. He even wanted to see Spain, right? We know that. He's like, I can't wait to to get to Spain to help people to see the greatness of Jesus Christ because there is pain and hurt that's been brought on by sin there. All kinds of people in rebellion in Rome and in Spain. No doubt, let me tell you this, the world needs to change and God is doing that and will do that. But the church is the only group of people on the planet in which the ideals to which our world is seeking to arrive can actually be realized. People want world peace. The church is the only place on the planet that the Spirit of God promises that when we keep in step with him, an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. They want love and hope and joy, patience, meekness, gentleness, self-control. They want to see human beings as God sees them. Second Corinthians 5, Paul says, no, I used to view people through the wrong lens, but because of the power of the Spirit of God, I now see people as we're supposed to see people. What does that mean? I think the bigger thing means, like what Paul says, in, or excuse me, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, We're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation, a people of his own. Why? So that we might proclaim the virtues. In other verses, it's it's the, the excellencies of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You didn't used to be people, but now you are God's very own people. You were shown no mercy, but now you've received mercy. He says in there then, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, as ones who are on Exodus, and we're going to come back to that next week. Be laser focused. Keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul. Maintain good conduct among the, the non-Christians so that though they may malign you as long, wrongdoers, what does he say there? They may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. The church excuse me, the world more than anything does not need us to change it. Jesus has that under control. The world needs to see the church be transformed so that it might be the beacon of hope that God intends it to be. Get into God's word. See how serious it is this flesh that has been warring against you since the day you were born is an enemy, not a friend. Choose to battle back against it in the spirit. We'll learn more about that. And just lastly, make sure that you understand it's not out there. It's in us. So cornerstone, In the name of the Father who adores us and loves us. Who's not afraid to call us his very own. In the name of the Son 
who came as a fellow brother and took on flesh to defeat the sin that so was ingrained within us in that flesh that drew us away from longing after God. And in the name of the Holy Spirit, that now that we have been cleansed by the work of Jesus, he indwells not only me, but all of us that call each other followers of Jesus Christ, compelling us now to war against the right things, not the wrong things. May this week, you not just even be sons and daughters of the king, but I'm gonna even say something else to you that I think might be even equally as important. May you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit be the victorious church. The church to which not even the gates of hell or Hades can stand against. I love you all. God bless you. Take care.